I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Yellow. Episode 109 of the Wong Takes. It is Tuesday, November 5th, 2019, and we are here recording at the University of California, Berkeley, where I am currently residing. We are moving out of the um, prime of the sports year and into the football and basketball grind, hardcore grinding. Football is heading toward the playoff march. Games are starting to mean more and more and more. We're starting to see storylines emerge uh, and teams show that they are for real or not for real. In the NBA, some storylines are emerging as well, including one with my favorite team, the Golden State Warriors. We'll get to that later. But first, we are going to lead off the show with the college football Week 10 slate. Really the only uh, marquee-marquee matchup of the weekend, Georgia taking on Florida in a top 10 SEC matchup. And it was tough going or playing in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, the Gators and the Bulldogs. And it was a hard-nosed SEC battle. Uh, Just a lot, a lot of good football. No turnovers, uh, just a lot of running the football down the other team's throat, or at least attempting to. Um, and playing clean football. And it made for a fun game to watch. You know, a lot of times these uh, SEC on CBS midday games turn into sort of drags. You know, around 2.30, 2, 2.33, you start to get, like, teams are stuffed in the trenches. Uh, and it's, it's, it's good football. It's fun to watch. But, you know, the game can sort of drag sometimes. And it never really felt like that with this one. Um, it was explosive throughout. Uh, there were good matchups to be had on both sides, and I thought this game was uh, really fun, especially this late in the year. Uh, we saw some on the hard nose front. There were some tough, tough drives in this game. Um, even though they weren't necessarily the norm, it just um, showed the grit of a lot of SEC football teams. Georgia going 16 plays for the first field goal, and then Florida 17 plays for their last touchdown, even though it wouldn't be enough. Um, And that's just some of the grit you get in the conference. But also, we did see some big plays. I mean, the one that stuck out to me is Jake Fromm throwing to, forgetting his first name, Cager, uh, for what would be the game-winning 52-yard touchdown. And Georgia ends up pulling out the win uh, in a split crowd in a really fun environment. One of these days on my bucket list is to get out to one of those, like, you know, big, big games where everyone is, everyone in the town knows that this is the thing to watch this weekend. And you really only get that in the South. Um, so I'll probably have to head over to, like, you know, Tuscaloosa or Baton Rouge or Gainesville or something like that. But nevertheless, I would like to get out to one someday because they look really fun. Anyway, Georgia with the win. And actually, let me preface this by saying uh, the college football playoff rankings will be released. Uh, on ESPN tonight for the first time this year. 
uh, after the game versus Can- between Kansas and Duke uh, with college basketball starting up. And Georgia, now with this win, has moved firmly back into the college football playoff conversation. And we'll talk more about the pl- rankings next week. Uh, they might be out by the time this gets up. But now with Georgia winning against their SEC East rival in Florida, they have their they control their own destiny heading to the SEC championship game. And that road to get there is not an easy one. They've shown in the past that they can slip up uh, against inferior opponents. Case in point, they're only lost so far in South Carolina. Um, but they've still got Auburn uh, left in their schedule. They've still got Texas A&M in their schedule, who, despite early losses, is still a good team. They're 6-3, and three, have played really tough competition, and they're still a threat to knock off this Georgia team. And so they shouldn't rest on their laurels yet, but if they can win out, you know, they play Alabama in the SEC championship game, um, and they've got a, a real chance at, or, or LSU, sorry, I shouldn't count them out, or LSU in the SEC championship game. And they've got a real shot at making the playoff because if you look at some of the early projections, putting them maybe in the eighth spot, um, I think with this win against Florida, they can move even higher, maybe leapfrog Oregon. Georgia's still got a chance if they can win out, and, and I firmly believe that. Looking down uh, at some of the at the main group of five matchup this week, actually, in the American Athletic Conference, and I've had a sore throat the last couple of days, so that's why I sound a little raspy. Memphis and SMU, both top 25 teams, played this weekend. And it was fun because you had kind of an uh, anomalous weekend. You had not too many of the top 10 teams playing, not too many of the big names playing. Four of the top five teams were idle this week, this weekend. And so as a result, you got to put the spotlight on some teams that maybe normally aren't used to getting it. Teams in non-Power 5 conferences, or rather teams not in the SEC, Big 12, Big 10, or uh, ACC. Plus, not only did you get the Saturday night primetime game, but you also got college game day coming, uh, which is really fun. And so you get this premier matchup between the teams in the American Athletic Conference. Um, and just a really fun night. I mean, the atmosphere in the building uh, in Memphis was definitely palpable. And it, I think it was distinctive, I think, of what these group of five leagues want to put on display. Lots of high-powered offense. Lots of just pure fun that can maybe differentiate them from some of the tougher leagues like the Big Ten or the SEC that are more, or even the Pac-12 at times, that are more accustomed to defensive styles, right? Um, Remember Shane Buchel from Texas? The guy who helped lead them to a win when they were supposedly back for the first time before Sam Ellinger? Yeah, he's on SMU now, which I learned. And we got to see a glimpse of the Buchel from Texas um, that had no fear, that went after defenses, and we saw it again in this game. Obviously, with the final score... Um, you can tell that there was a lot of offense in this one. Now, a little backstory if you're not maybe familiar with one of these teams, uh, SMU. Their story has always been amazing because of their past. 
uh, in the 80s, they got charged with, I believe it was paying play or something like that, but either way, they got hit with the death penalty, or they got back-channeling money. They got hit with essentially what the NCAA called the death penalty, um, which was shutting down your football team for a year, you don't get scholarships for a while, um, and they had to shut, shut down their football program essentially for two years, and in a, in a, in a game and in a league that is built so much around momentum because if you win you get better recruiting and then you get better players who continue to help you win etc etc and so shutting down your whole program for two years what that does is devastating because you have to you have guys graduating right people aren't going to stay the good talent isn't going to stay when you're done for two years. So that leads to just a whole program being derailed for decades. And that is what happened at SMU. And for them to recover and get to the top 15 last week um, and have a big game like this to play in is remarkable nonetheless. Meanwhile, Memphis, with this win, is really a statement win. You know, SMU had kind of established itself on the national scene already by going 8-0 before this one. But now, with Memphis winning, they establish themselves as a name to think about in the group of five. You've got your Boise States of the world, your SMUs of the world, and now you've got to add Memphis to that conversation because they are 8-1, they continue to win in their league. Their only loss is the Temple. And, hey, they can win the eight, the American, you know. They'll get a bid. They'll get a top bid, and they'll get a chance to prove themselves on the national stage in front of even more people. I mean, this is already rare enough in itself, but in front of more people. Um, and we'll really see what, who these Tigers are. Now, there could be something to be said about the momentum of this spectacle helping buoy uh, or an example of how group of five teams can kind of buoy themselves into their national into the national conversation that might have been the wrong use of the verb but I think this was sort of an anomaly um, as far as the amount of attention this game was getting and the amount of coverage this game got mostly because as I said earlier um, many of the top teams were idle and so there wasn't really anywhere else to focus the attention um, particularly in the nighttime slate and that is good short-term, but I think long-term it's not really sustainable, obviously. I mean, with the return of Alabama and LSU this week, uh, you get the shift right back onto those top teams. Um, and also, the American is not a power conference. They've tried for years to rebrand themselves um, as the, the P6, the sixth power conference. And... There is something to be said about if you take a look at leagues like the ACC right now, which is in a real downspell, where basically Clemson is the only team that is competing or that that could be considered in even the top or second top tier. And you might say, look, I know the American doesn't isn't full of brand names, but one could argue that with teams like Cincinnati and Memphis and SMU, that it's deeper than the, the, uh, the ACC right now. And that very well may be true. But the question is not really about sub- subjective things like that. The real only way you become a power conference is through money and and scholarships. And that's where the American is severely behind the power conferences, even the Pac-12. And so until they can elevate themselves to that level, and maybe this branding is part of an effort to reach out to more um, sources of money, 
but at the moment there's really no way to categorize them as one and until I think they sort of embrace that and really start to examine their identity it's going to be tough to escape that constant inferiority complex of trying to prove themselves uh, as, as a power conference so we look to next week big big slate of games in week 11 it's already week 11 um, in the morning slate, we've actually got a really fun matchup between Penn State and Minnesota. Minnesota, the Gophers, 8-0, 5-0 in conference, uh, playing the still undefeated fifth-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. And Minnesota, if you look at their schedule, it's not the strongest. San Diego State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland. Nevertheless, um, Every single one of those games had upset potential. And if you consider where Minnesota came from and the fact that they just keep winning, um, that is always going to be impressive. P.J. Flex done a great job with that program. He's about to get a seven-year extension uh, from things I saw on Reddit. And so what Minnesota has the chance to do here, like some of the teams in the AAC, um, other than money, I think some of the lower-level teams in power conferences have some of the same problems of not uh, just the uh, name rec- or not just the objective factors, but also the fact that name recognition doesn't provide them with the means to obtain those objective factors. I mean, Minnesota, you don't associate necessarily with football success, at least not in recent decades, and so this is their chance to really put their name on the map and make the and elevate the program to the next level. Um, and so I like this matchup. I think it's going to be fun. And then, of course, there's the one that everyone's talking about. And why does it have to start at 1230? Why can't you just move it to the prime time? I, mean, I know why. It's because of TV deals. But can you make an exception? Game of the Century Part 2, one, number one LSU, number two Alabama, both 8-0. and o, Playing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama opens a 6.5 point favorite. Uh, this is, yeah, yeah, this is the matchup. Tua versus Nick Burrow, elite wide receivers, elite running backs, you name it, they've got it. Um, And we all look forward to that this weekend. Also, the two matchups, there's a a matchup between two two two-loss Big Ten teams coming up this weekend. Basically, I'm just rattling off the ranked matchups, but Iowa and Wisconsin um, also should be fun over at Camp Randall. So we've got a good slate of games coming up for next week. Um, I look forward to talking about them. This college football season is really, out to, really turning out to be a lot of fun because you've got these heavyweights, but everyone still looks like they can get upset. Um, and we all look forward to that, of course. NFL Week 9. Hey, the Niners won local hour. They're 8-0. They're still unbeaten. They beat the Cardinals 28-25. You know, this game, it, it's another sort of, I don't want to say trap game, because trap games imply that you don't expect them to be close. And we sort of expected this one to be close. This was possibly the Niners, given situation, the Niners' toughest test so far. I mean, you've got a good, hot Cardinals team. You're going down to Glendale. It's Thursday night, which means that you're fatigued, and pretty much any game played on Thursday night is bound to be close just because of the leveling factor that playing three days after a Sunday game has uh, in terms of ability and conditioning. Um, and also it's a divisional matchup. Divisional matchups always uh, have that extra spice to them that seems to make the game closer than perhaps on paper it should be. 
Um, and, and it was close, you know. Uh, Arizona had a chance uh, to win this game, and they couldn't. But ultimately, it was Jimmy G that saved the Niners. And I, I, I've said for weeks that Jimmy G just needs to be adequate. Um, in this game, he didn't. He had to be better than that, and he was. And that is the, another yet another sign that this team is still getting better and can get better and will continue to get better. Um, but now they really enter the gauntlet part of the schedule, um, which will prove if they are championship contenders or just, you know, wild card or not even bound. Seattle, uh, who is seven and two, has got a possible MVP candidate in Russell Wilson. Arizona, who they just played close. Green Bay, who's seven and two, though a tough loss to the Chargers this weekend. Then Baltimore, who just knocked off the Patriots. New Orleans, who's seven and one and gets. Uh, Drew Brees back, the Atlanta Falcons who are one and seven, and then the Rams, uh, who are five and three, who they ju- who they beat a few weeks ago, but nevertheless still a divisional opponent, and then Seattle at Seattle. So that's a tough, tough, tough schedule in the back half. But um, you know they're happy now, and they've got Monday night against the Seahawks, which is going to be really fun. Meanwhile, in the Monday night game this week, the Ravens beat the Patriots 37-20. to Oh, no, sorry, the Sunday night game. Uh, making the Niners now the lone unbeaten, and I might have jinxed it, but knock on wood, you know. And Lamar Jackson, uh, coming out of Louisville, we didn't really know what we were going to get at the next level from him. Um, you, don't, you never really know what to get, but his pocket passing ability, I think... Um, and his ability to hit guys uh, in standard routes has really, I think, made the difference in making him not just a, another running quarterback out of college, but rather a quarterback that can actually succeed at the pro level. Um, and he has done that and led this Ravens team, um, you know, to a 6-2 uh, and two record, including just knocking off the Patriots uh, in Baltimore. And this Ravens team is scary. Uh, between the defense that held the Patriots' offense to only 20 points, and then the offense, uh, led by, you know, Marquise Brown had an okay game. Uh, Lamar Jackson obviously had a really good game. And so this Ravens team is one to watch. And the Patriots, I'm not worried about the Patriots. I mean, they've slipped up in years past and come back and won the Super Bowl, so there's really nothing to say about them. Um, But this secured, I think, the Ravens as a, a contender. Uh, or at least they should be a contender in everyone's eyes. Uh, the Warriors played, have not been playing particularly well. They're two and five on the year, and have led have had to suffer through a lot of injuries. Not only did Kevin Durant leave in free agency, uh, Clay Thompson is possibly out for the year. Draymond Green is hurt right now. Steph is out for three months. Um, and Looney is injured at the moment too. And so I saw this is from Tim Kawakami. Uh, he tweeted that out of the 15 players on the Warriors playoff roster, none of them, or the top 15 scorers from the Warriors last year, none of them are on the roster right now, active roster right now. Um, and that really says something to what the Warriors have had to go through. But, you know, I think, and last, well, the reason I bring this up is because last night, uh, they defeated the Trailblazers at home, 127-118, in the first win for the Warriors at Chase Center. And 
there there was an atmosphere that I detected watching that game. I think there was an electricity in the building that we haven't had in quite frankly in years, um, with the exception of maybe the playoffs. But the what has been lacking recently is an energy of, I think from the fans' perspective, they they were more, and I, I know I definitely at times felt this way, they were more afraid of losing, um, than looking excited to win rather they were playing not to lose right and the fans were thinking of thinking not to lose as opposed to getting excited when good things happened you know and you understand that right from a from the perspective of we've won championships we we're the favorites to win them again and you can totally see why that's the case but when you play free when you play without any expectations you totally get a different vibe in the building. Um, the fans were more into it. The commentators were more into it. The players were more into it because this is a totally new group. Um, and Eric Pascal putting up 36 and 13 on his birthday. Stuff like that, storylines like that, really gets um, more energy in, in the team and more energy around the franchise. And I think it's been a, a blessing in disguise, all these injuries. Obviously not for the players themselves, but... Um, allowing these young guys to get the confidence, Kai Bowman, Pascal, uh, Jordan Poole, allowing these guys to gain the mental fortitude to make it through the tough times um, and understand what that's like in order to succeed when presented with the opportunity, I think is something that is a valuable lesson and something that maybe t- players on the last couple of teams never really got to learn because they constantly lived with this expectation that you know you have to win. Um, and now that that's over, at least for the moment, with the Warriors looking like a lottery team, uh, honestly, uh, is says something, I think, about what they can improve on and how they can do it. And I think it also says something that at the moment, as I look at the app, my ESPN app, the Warriors in Houston right now, the spread is even. Uh, neither team is favored. And that goes to show you uh, what this Warriors team has proved that they can do um, with the right system, with Steve Kerr at the helm, is that they can foster these young players to a point where they believe in themselves uh, and can compete at the highest level, even without maybe some of the star power that um, they've gotten used to over the last half decade. Uh, So actually, you know, after a bleak period, the future of the Warriors, particularly that one game, is looking pretty bright. Um, and uh, I look forward to following it uh, over the next uh, couple of months. All right, quick take. College basketball is starting. I love the Champions Classic, man. Uh, You get the top four teams playing each other at the moment, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and Michigan State. And, you know, I don't have too much to say about it, I think college basketball is going to be totally different for me this year because now I've got a team to root for. I'm probably going to go to the game tonight. Uh, Cal is playing, I think, Pepperdine, which actually should be a pretty fun matchup. It's always fun when you play these little mid-major teams. Um, But college basketball, I've never gotten super into it, not during March Madness, just because March Madness is such a crapshoot. But the best part, I think, about college basketball is at the end of the year, it's really different from every other sport because every team has a chance to win it all no matter how you did in the regular season because every team goes to their conference tournament which can lead to an automatic bid 
and then they could win out and win the championship. Obviously, that's not going to happen. There are, you know, a set of like 15, 20 teams that you could say will win at the end of the year. But the mere fact that that exists is what is romantic about college basketball. Um, and that's why we look forward to it every year. That's why we watch these big matchups. Um, and that's why we uh, that's why we follow sports, because every team has a chance at the start of the season and even at the end of the season uh, to win it all. And um, that's that's my TED Talk. Thanks so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Check it out everywhere at bit.ly slash thewongtakes, patreon.com slash thewongtakes, thewongtakes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Send questions, leave voicemails. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and I will see you next week.